Well, welcome to another fun and entertaining version of the Rolex Whiskey Passion Project. And today, my man John, you might see him as Bur Bourbon Goggles on Instagram, has the most insane home speakeasy and is a whiskey lover like nobody's business. And I'm super, super excited to have him on the show. John, welcome to the show. You want to introduce yourself? Take a couple of minutes to, to talk about yourself, and we're going to jump into some fun questions. Hey, thanks, Gavin. Yeah, of course. So, yeah, I built, so COVID was a, a weird time in everybody's lives, but uh, some people were able to take advantage of that time and do something fun, and I'm one of those people. So uh, I decided to build a, a speakeasy in my house. So 2020, actually in 2019, I bought a house and that was the first time that I kind of went to work designing this room. Before that, I moved around a whole lot. But finally in 2019, I bought a house, started thinking about where do I want all these different elements? Um, I had a perfect room that I could kind of bust out a wall, move it, put it up uh, and really create this, this room that's less of a room and more of a shrine to bourbon, if you will. Uh, so, so COVID hits February, I get with my uncle, Mike, um, who's, he's my, you know, that uncle that everybody has the, the guy who kind of knows how to do a little bit of everything. So I got with my uncle, Mike, I said, Hey, let's build a speakeasy in my house. He said, that sounds like the greatest idea I've ever heard. So we went to work building this room and, uh, one day a week from, uh, middle of February through the end of June, beginning of July we built this, this speakeasy in my house. Um, everything from woodwork to uh, lighting, electrical, drywall. I had never done wallpaper before. I put up wallpaper. <laughs> um, I, mean, I mean, people who are listening to this, you've got to go to his, to his Instagram page, uh, Bourbon. And then it's the card catalog speakeasy as well, right, John? Yes, exactly. So at Bourbon Goggles and, and at the card catalog speakeasy. And it's, it's nuts. Like you, you walk in, it's hidden behind a panel. He does a great little show where you walk in and he's got a good amount of whiskey in his downstairs basement. And then this wall slides over and it's just like, I mean, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing what yeah, he's done. John, how many bottles, how many bottles do you have in there? So I'm just over a thousand bottles right now um, of different labels. So I've got a couple of backups here and there, but uh, it's sitting about a thousand plus right now. But I mean, who wow. doesn't and, want... And, and, who doesn't want? How long a, you been? Uh, how? Go ahead. Sorry, go. Who doesn't want? Go, go, go. Who doesn't, who doesn't want, want a, a, what? <laughs> a, a hidden room behind a bookcase? Right. I mean, that's kind of the oh. every guy's man cave dream. It's the James Bond of whiskey room. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, the thousand open bottles. I mean, you've been buying whiskey now and enjoying whiskey for how long? So I got like, into what, it in what, 2000. What's your oldest bottle in that room? 2008. So the so the Ooh. oldest bottle in that room you purchased around 2008. Mm -hmm. And that was a vintage bourbon yeah. 17. So the old KBD Willet stuff, um, it, she's a beauty. I mean, those are, those are the kind of bottles that you just look back on and you're like, what did I used to mix that with? So, <laughs> uh, yeah. Back in 2008, I, I actually, when I graduated college, I was a, uh, I was a rum guy. I, I, I having been a, a soda drinker and, you know, back in the day, sweet, sugar well let's drink rum let's figure out everything we can about rum and then i graduated and i looked around the city and i said holy cow i live in louisville kentucky and i don't know a thing about bourbon i should probably start figuring that out 
So in 2008, 2009, I, I went on the bourbon trail um, and I kind of fell in love. Um, I'm not married, no kids. And, what's, and, and, and then, John, give me, let's rewind back to 2008, 2009. What's the yeah. bourbon trail look like at that point in Kentucky? Because the boom huh. hasn't obviously happened yet. What's it that was, look like? It was neat. So there were six distilleries on the bourbon trail at that point. Um, it and was, just, okay, stop, stop for one second. There's, there were six. How many are there now on that trail? I think there's 27 or 28 right now. Yeah. I was going to say 23 at the last count I had. So yeah. So, so in 14 years, it's getting, it's quadrupled (laughs) almost, almost five times. Okay. So you go on these, who are the six in 2008, 2009? So you've got Maker's Mark, you've got Jim Beam, Mm -hmm. you got Woodford Reserve, you got Brown Foreman, which is uh, the Woodford Reserve distillery. So that's three. You got, um, Heaven Hill, you've got Wild Turkey, you've got Four Roses. So uh, Buffalo Trace wasn't a part of it. They still aren't, obviously. But uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, we did Buffalo Trace as well just to to go see it. But yeah, those six, those uh-huh. were the big six. Uh, and it was fun because I I decided that I wanted to, uh, me and my buddy Ray, we went on this, this adventure together. And it was fun because we ranked every one of them on a number of different uh different levels so everything from the grounds how pretty the grounds were how knowledgeable the the tour guides were uh their gift shop experience all sorts of things and uh we we kind of ranked them one to six now and who was i mean who were the top three back then so number one believe it or not back then uh wild turkeys uh distillery experience was a whole lot different it was very down home uh, you felt like you were walking into a friend's house and just enjoying bourbon and seeing how they made it there. Uh, so Wild Turkey won. It was number one. Uh, Old Forester, or sorry, Old Forester, Woodford Reserve was number two. And um, uh, shoot, uh, Heaven Hill, because of their gift shop experience, was number three. Which back then, I mean, out of everything you mentioned, Heaven Hill was probably the only one that was releasing slightly more aged whiskeys mm-hmm. yeah they were i mean they they were they, they were doing the fitzes and stuff back then right yeah they were doing like the elijah craig age stated the 18 20 23 um and then the evan williams 23 as well yeah nobody else was really doing that i mean yeah. back then they were just yeah. like they were doing they were doing just what up to like six years and call it a day and and, and let it run four to six yeah. years and and that's it so it's yeah. pretty interesting oh. how how Heaven Hill really back then, and and these bottles weren't going for a tremendous amount of money. I mean, what what were no, you paying they, for a Elijah Craig eighteen back then? The, the twenty that I drank at your house. What'd you pay for that back then, roughly? <laughs> uh, I think that was one hundred and eighty bucks back then. And uh, if you and wanted what, to get it today, it's God, a couple grand. Yeah. So just perspective, listeners. Like, obviously, the game has changed. I think the part that blows me away the most is John just quoted a secondary price of a couple of thousand. If you were able to buy that at the, dis- like what do they sell the old Fitzes at the distillery for? I forget. I bought one last time, but I mean, it wasn't like maybe $179. Yep. Or exactly. less. Yep. And that goes for on the secondary for what? Six, 700 in general. Yeah. And the older they get, the more they go up. So the last one that was released was a, uh, it was an old Fitz 19 year. That yep. one's, that one's seven, eight hundred dollars now. 
which to, like just so when I look at it it's from all different perspectives, from the investor, from the cogs, it's like the juice for them to make it at Heaven Hill in all the years, their cost of goods haven't gone up. But a customer outside of the um, of the of buying it at the distillery is willing to pay a lot more for the for the whiskey than ever before. Yeah. And, and so it's not like when that's that. offered and they go. I mean, the number I mean, I, I look at, you know, I, every time I'm with a distillery, I'm like, God, you guys should charge more because somebody else is. And you're literally yep. missing out on revenue for no reason. There's no reason why you shouldn't have this revenue. It's your product and yeah. the consumer is willing to pay for it. So, so like double your prices and they're like, Oh, you know, and it, it's, it's like these, just these distributor relationships are just such a mess. And hopefully that will oh. clear up in the future. I mean, you know where that's going. So let's go back into the whiskey passion. So 2008, 2009, you know, born and raised rum drinker. Now you're going to bourbon who excites you in those first few years. You're like, Whoa, this is good. Well, back then I, I was such a big, and I still am such a big Brown Foreman fan. So Woodford Reserve, Old Forester, and they, they weren't really doing anything special. They were just putting out good, consistent products. And, uh, which by the way, just on the Old Forester tip, when I was with John last a few months ago, you know, when card catalog speakeasy, he asks you a few questions to kind of gauge what whiskey he wants to pair you up with based on notes, you know, what you like, food, all different things. And I, I forget what it was, but we had that old Forester that was like a, a vanilla creamsicle. Like yeah, it was the, wild. The uh, chocolate squirrel is the one that I pulled for you. Chocolate squirrel. Okay. Yeah, I was like, it was like, it was like a, such a wild flavor experience that was just like nailed. It, it fits know, like just nailed. And yeah. Like, and, and I, that was my first time kind of, you know, really seeing the, the the different things that Old Forester can do with their whiskey. And that really opened my mind. Because like for me, it's like, you know, when it comes to bourbon, you know, remember, I'm primarily an investor and a collector. And then I'm incredibly passionate when I know about the brand. So I can't know about every single brand without having the experience. So when you see me talk about whiskey, it's generally because I've literally spent time at the distillery getting to know who they are and what they do and how they do it and why they do it. Cause that to me is really a big part of the experience. So I haven't done that with old forests. So when John was like, kind of like, I was like, Holy shit. Like I need to get to know that, you know, I need to go spend time there because yeah, whoever absolutely. is doing the job there is making, you know, I always, I always go back to like food, like they're doing Michelin star whiskey. I just don't know if they're Italian, French, Japanese, like what the style is that they're doing but it is unique <laughs> yeah and <laughs> it's know? wild that they're doing it with such such young juice i mean most of the the distillate that they're using to create a lot of those single barrels i mean it's four to five year old so for them yeah. to get so much flavor and so much perceived age out of something that's maybe not as old as you think it is it's fantastic they're doing great stuff and, and to me it's not even that's i mean i think that obviously barrel technology and barrel knowledge over the last two decades at the distillery. I mean, you look at some of these barrels that they're bringing in, you look at the, the techniques that they're using to cut the barrels and char the barrels, etc. The different, um, the, they use the, the barrels as a blending technique without actually touching the whiskey. They just use the barrel oh, to sure. add nuances. 
And I think that that in the last two decades has been a big deal because before that it was like, put it in a barrel, put it in a bottle, go sell it. Now yes. they're like, put it in a barrel, move it to another barrel, maybe do something with it, put it in another barrel, then bottle it, then sell it. Yeah. And you look at things like Woodford Double Oak or uh, Old Forester 1910. I know we're kind of on a Brown Foreman train right now. Both of those products, mm -hmm. I mean, That's they're really utilizing barrels to create unique flavors. And, and it's working. And I think that, I mean, I think now fast forward, you know, you had in 2008, 2009, your choices were limited. And now in 2023, it's like Toys R Us walking okay. in there when you want whiskey. I mean, and you know, you know, you work in the business. It's like literally like they used to have maybe, you know, an eight foot display that was like triple faced of the same stuff. Mm -hmm. Now they've got a 400 foot display and it's like they're lucky if they can give two facings. <laughs> exactly. You know, and then I go into your, you know, I, I go into your room and you have a thousand bottles of history, you know, like yeah. you don't really, you know, I, I, in all the times I've hung out with you, I don't ever be like, you're not, you, you don't have any hype bottles. You just have bottles that you've been sitting on and now you're opening and you yeah, have like, you know, like if, if I look at your wild turkeys or your four roses, you know, even some of your older, like the maker's mark, it's like, you're just there. Like you have it, obviously your Brown Foreman collection. You know, and then, you know, some of the, the more specific, um, when I say luxury, just more percept perceived to be high end, you know, the Pappies, mm -hmm. the Michters, uh, the Willets and stuff like that. <clears throat> but there's literally, it's become a huge thing. And now, so here you are, it's 2019 and I'm jumping from 2010 to 2019 and you're going to go build the speakeasy and you're going to put your whiskey in there. And how many bottles do you have when you launch your speakeasy in your house? It was probably around eight, 850 thereabouts. Um, so I, I actually went through and I made index cards for every bourbon in the, uh, in the card catalog. It's a, a card catalog system. And uh, there's, a, a, there's a, an index card for every single bourbon in the collection uh, that you can actually sign, write tasting notes, things like that on. Um, it's something that you kind of have to see to understand, but, uh, if you make it to the card catalog, which you have a, a couple of times, um, yeah. it's a unique experience. Not only is it a unique experience, it's an experience, a full experience in itself, the actual whiskey that John in his thousand bottles, I mean, he yeah. can literally take you on a whiskey journey of history of this is how, th how they used to do it. And this is how they do it now. Um, and here's some twists and turns now. I know, I know you got a couple of like, and I know there's not many, but I know there's a few unopened ones in there that you, you know, have said one day when you get married, you know, that might be a ring and that one might be a wedding, you know, yeah. pay for all that kind of stuff. Um, which bottles are those again? I know there's a Willet. I think there's a Michter's as well. There's an older Pappy as well. Yep. So uh, they're not going to be bottles that I'll sell to pay for anything. They're going to be bottles that I'll open no. and celebrate. So you open. Yep. Yep. Um, so there's a 1985 uh, Old Weller Antique Gold Vein that uh, when I get engaged or when I turn 40, so Gavin, if I turn 40 and you're not in town, you may be missing out. But when I turn 40 or when I get engaged, whichever comes first, I'm opening that one. Um, okay. There, there's, an, uh, there's a Four Roses 2008 Mirage, uh, which is basically what, become, what became the limited edition small batch. Um, so 2008 uh, Mirage that is going to be a wedding day bottle. Um, and then the A.H. Hirsch 16 gold uh, gold foil 
or the humidor, whichever one I decide to open, that one's going to be the other wedding day bottle. So I figured I may need a a little extra that day. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's a a fun one. Oh, my God. That's so awesome. Johnny, where do you like? I know you're entertaining a lot more guests lately. It seems like you're getting busier and busier in there. Um, What's been some cool experiences that you've had happen inside the card catalog like thanks to whiskey so some really neat stuff um a couple things that i'll i'll mention the first one um it's really neat whenever a group will come into town and they're coming in for a a barrel pick they'll come into town we'll have a a great night and then they'll say hey you know i didn't bring you a bottle because i wanted to bring you on this tasting uh, this barrel pick tomorrow um and then we'll give you a bottle from that barrel uh that's pretty cool being able to go out use the palette that I've got, help them pick a, a, a banging barrel. And then once they've got that barrel, they'll send me a bottle or a couple bottles as a thank you for hosting them here and helping them pick the barrel. So that's tell a cool me, one. Who have, you, who have you done that? What, who have you done that with? Like what, what, uh, what, what distilleries? So that was a, uh, a group in uh, Minnesota that took me out to um, four roses. We did that four roses pick. Ah, and yeah. then they, they also uh, did that with uh, Buffalo Trace as well. We picked a Buffalo Trace barrel. What, what did you pick at Buffalo? Just a regular Buffalo Trace? Yeah. That's fine. I mean, I, I, I got, never, you know, till this last, this last trip, I'd never actually been to Buffalo Trace. Yeah. And I spent the day there. And I mean, wow, you talk about whiskey history and something that was built in the 1800s, like with literally horses and oxes and donkeys oh, yeah. dragging in rocks and making their own like weird cement out of horsehair, you know, plaster for the walls. You're like, whoa, on such a grand scale too. It's it wasn't crazy, like it was one it? building. It's like nine buildings built yeah. in 1850s. <laughs> like, yeah, and to think of where pretty, it's come from there to where it is today. It's insane to think about, you know, they're, they're putting in another still and it's almost done and they're, they're going to be doubling production yeah. and it's just wild. Well, the demand is, I mean, you know, the demand is insane right now. And I don't see it stopping. I mean, this is the time to shine yeah. for whiskey. I mean, I think, I think, you know, do you agree with me that the older stuff is slightly different to the newer stuff when it comes to like more of, more of the, I wouldn't say boutique, but like more of the specialty stuff. You know, yeah. I, I feel like if you drink, you know, especially like you're talking about the, you know, 1985, I've drank 1964 of that one. And it's like, that was a different juice. Yes. Then absolutely what's being put in what's what's being put in right now. And, and and I'm not saying like what's being put in right now. What's put in right now matches all the specs. It's just different. Yeah. You know, it's 100%. still coming in. They're, they're still putting it into the same proofs and they're still using the same recipes and they're still doing all that, but it's just different. I mean, cleaning you know, standards the, the, are different. The yeah, yeah the oldest stuff I feel like just sits heavier. Like in when I say sits heavier, sits more flavorful. I would agree. Yeah, a lot more butterscotch, a lot you know? more toffee, molasses. I mean, there the flavor profiles that you get from an older or a dusty whiskey are certainly almost every time going to be identifiable and different. And there's no real other word for it other than dusty. Yeah, I mean, to me, it's more like, you know, I, I look at like the, this decadent richness of the older whiskeys and layers of flavors where the newer stuff is, is less layers. You yeah. know, it's like, and I'm not, and, and I, th- you know, it's interesting because when I talk to, you know, people who make whiskey, they say, hey, well, what's different now is the whiskey you're drinking is the cleanest. 
because mm-hmm. of technology, we can pull out all the impurities and all the um, all the, the the things that we attempted to pull out, but we didn't have the technology to grab it. And I sometimes yeah. go like, I wish you didn't. Yeah, because maybe what that's cost? what made those heavier flavors. You know, right. it, it it made that like nobody we assumed. You know, you know, whiskey was made for medicinal purposes. That you know, you weren't going to put anything there that would kill us, as far as Correct. impurities. Yeah. You know, so like stripping it out, it's like you're kind of like diluting the flavor experience because maybe some of those things that you don't necessarily want in, within reason, of course, not health mm-hmm. risks and stuff like that, are adding just an extra note. It's making yeah. the toffee just a little toffier or yep. the vanilla just a little bit more vanilla. You know, I, I remember looking at old barrels and like they would be a train wreck. There'd be shit leaking out all over it that looked like you could like scrape your finger on the toffee, you know? Yep. And now you go into the new things and like the barrel technology doesn't allow that. Like it just doesn't happen anymore like that. They are tight. Yeah, it's, it's much different. Um, everything, the whole, the whole production aspects have changed so much. And in the last four or five years, which brands have you seen start to really step above the level of, I won't say like the norm, but like above, way, way above average, not just above average. Like, you know, obviously I'm super passionate about Michter's. I believe that what, what, you know, what, what Andrea and, and the team over there, you know, and Dan do is something next level. And it's very obvious in the whiskey that they create. Obviously, I love what Bardstown, you know, I think that that Danny is having a ton of fun, having fun with, you know, with with Steve in the back there. And they're coming up with unique twists on whiskey because whiskey doesn't just need to be American, you know, Kentucky straight bourbon whiskey anymore. You can finish it in a prisoner wine barrel and change the the dynamic just a little bit of the flavor profile. Who have you seen as like people you've seen rising above in the last couple of years? Yeah. Um, so a couple of them that I've been really keeping my eye on, um, I'll start with a, a big one and then go to a couple small ones. Um, so I think yeah. what heaven Hill's doing right now is really impressive. Uh, everything from their, uh, their hill rocks, uh, their, not hill rock, their heaven Hill select stocks, their, um, old Fitzgerald's, uh, the, you know, the mm-hmm. decanter bottles. I think those are, uh, very good, very different, unique, uh, and then the 27 and the 17 that they put out uh, as their own stuff as well. A lot of those things have been very impressive for me lately. Uh, and I think they're going the right way with all of their unique things that they're doing that they've got coming up down the line, everything from their Parker's heritage and all of those. So heaven Hills, the big one uh, or the, the conglomerate that I would say is, is kind of doing things the right way. But as far as smaller guys that I would want, I would want to keep an eye on myself and I guess would tell your listeners to keep an eye on uh, rare character. I think what uh, Pablo oh, is doing. Love Pablo. Pablo and, is the man. Like I love everything I've drank from him. Like I, but Pablo is, I mean, you know, I always joke Pablo for president. Like you talk about a dude that's <laughs> been like, he's been like behind the scenes in so much whiskey action in the last like decade Yep. that it was just, it was almost like a no brainer when rare character came out that, it would be so dialed in and so tight, you know, like I joke with him, you know, I'm just like, it's like kind of like you were pedigreed for success. And if you would have failed, it would have looked terrible. So it was like, it just wasn't (laughs) an option. Like I'm just going to do the best stuff out there. And I think the the best part I love of spending time with Pablo is his palate is nuts. 
Oh, it's fantastic. The dude knows his shit. Like he's he's unbelievable yeah. when it comes to you know picking bottles, picking picking barrels. He will turn down barrels specifically because they don't meet his expectations. And yeah, you're gonna find a lot of brand new distilleries or new labels that are gonna just buy whatever they can get just because that's what they can get. That's yeah, it's a commodity. They're just looking for liquid. Yeah, yeah. So for Pablo to be that selective, that that says to me that his products are only going to get better and they're all mm-hmm. already very good. So I'm excited yeah. to see what comes of him. And then uh, the other one kind of off the wall would be Logstill. So Logstill Distillery down in Gethsemane, um, they're putting out Monk's Road and the Monk's Road and the Monk's Road Weeded have been both very surprising for me. Um, I was I was really huh. impressed with both of them. What's the, what's the, I, I, and I know nothing about them, Jay. What's the age on them? So Monk's Road's regular bourbon is going to be a six year. Um, and okay. it's actually a single barrel, which I had no idea until I was looking at a bottle uh, earlier this week. Uh, their weeded is at least three years old. Okay. Yeah, it's hard to keep. They don't generally let those ones run very long sometimes. I don't yeah. know why. Yeah. Um, that's interesting. Uh, that, I mean, you know, obviously Pablo is he's going to come talk on the show soon as well. You know, I like I just he blows me away, like just his passion Number one always hits home, but his knowledge is—I don't know. There's not many guys like Pablo. <laughs> no, you're exactly right. And he'll be perfect for—he'll be perfect for this platform too. I mean, when it comes yeah, to passion yeah, projects, yeah, that's yeah. a huge. Yeah, I've, and it's funny because when he comes to the house, we'll, we, we normally drink old Scotch because you know, <laughs> he does so much bourbon. I'm like, I got all these like old independent barrel bottles of Scotch, and I'm like, you know, it's just a different flavor profile that he appreciates. You know. I don't know if he's classified as a super taster, but to me, he's a super taster because yeah. he picks out stuff and I'm like, whoa, where did you get that from? But that's, you know, that's his pedigree and he's done that well. Yeah, um, exactly John, right. as far as like, what are you seeing in the world of whiskey? Are you seeing what I'm seeing where there's an influx of uh, average whiskey being hitting the market just because of supply and demand and limited high end stuff because there just isn't enough of it to get out there? Are you seeing the same I- thing in, in store? I think you're seeing the same amount of limited high-end stuff being released. I think there's an influx of people who are trying to get yes. a hold of that limited release stuff. So I don't think that's changed as far as the, the amount of stuff that's being released, the, the high-end. No, no, it's the demand. Percent. It's it's the number yeah. of people. The, I mean, demand is I mean one, thing that blows, one thing that blows me away is like, you know, I started, I've been buying now for almost nine years. And, you know, they used to be a financial price on whiskey yeah like that would make people walk away from the table yep and now i don't feel like that price even exists anymore it's all emotionally driven oh, i gotta have it yep I think oh exactly shit right. you should only i should i i only wanted to spend 500 fuck it i'll spend 700 mm-hmm. you yeah, know I mean, like and and especially some of these older stuff i'm just like whoa four thousand five thousand i mean you're looking at these uh linnell red hooks you know yep. and what they're going for now you know, like I think one just went for forty eight thousand dollars at, at <laughs> on auction. <laughs> it's wild. You know, so, uh, Sotheby's they, they sold are. those pappies for fifty two grand. You yep. know, these two guys just got into a bidding war. You know, at fifty two thousand dollars for pappy twenty threes. Yeah, as if there wasn't going to be more of that on the shelf. 
or more of that in the yeah world. every every year every single time and 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 listen when I look at the Van Winkle rise you know I've I've had 2004 I've had 2008 nine I own 10 11 and 12 yeah. and it's very different to you know <laughs> the current stuff you're absolutely Sorry, right it just is you know yeah, it's that old tank stuff <laughs> it's it's it, you know it, it's it was different, different. Sure. well you go back to the cleaning you mentioned this earlier it's like the cleaning and the maintenance and the impurities and all that kind of stuff and it's just the, the, that was you know the oldest stuff was using like using a cast iron skillet and now they're using like non-stick pans yep yep you're exact. that's a really <laughs> good analogy you know i was thinking about that the other day i was on a call with someone i'm like dude like you know after all this like why cast iron skillets is where the flavor came from these non-sticks are nice i mean you get you get a really clean product off a non-stick a cast iron it might stick in there but that's what gets the flavor yeah and if there's anything to add just a little more flavor to your bourbon because it's coming off the still as you know you you've got your yeast and you've got your your grain your mash bill and you get a little bit of flavor from those, but if you've got one more little thing to add a little bit of flavor before it hits the barrel, holy cow, that's a game changer. So yeah, that I would say that that's a big deal. And I think that was that old forester that I drank at your house. Like they just added a little something extra. Yeah. You know, and I think that because, you know, going back to the demand and all that, it's like they have to turn into, run after run after run they don't get time to like let it simmer and season it's just like hey whatever this is an eight hour process get it done they're like oh at nine hours you get just this little extra no dude we got to get the next one going yeah I mean, you may be very right on that uh but you know because we talking, of demand yeah and what we we're talking about with demand so uh with there being so many people out there and so many new whiskey drinkers it is back in 2016. I think that's kind of when you said the the market turned yep. in a couple of your episodes prior. But I mean, back in 2016 yep. and and prior to that. So when I was buying in 2008 to 2016, it just sat on the shelf. You could find literally whatever you wanted. And then when the market exploded and people realized there was a trade system or a value to that. Uh huh. And everything from then to now, I mean, it's just gotten harder and harder to find things. Unless you've got more money than you know what to do with, it's hard for for that classic. Well, it's director. hard for the average. I mean, you know, we'll, we'll we'll put this into the show now. But before we hit record, you know, John works, you know, in Kentucky in the liquor business, and one of you know they do raffles of the yeah. limited editions, and. You know, what are you saying? 1,300 people lined up from 4 a.m. outside the one store and 1,500 or 1,400 outside the other one? Yep. Exactly. You know, to get an opportunity. What, what were the 100 bottles were the Pappies and the B-Tacs? Pappies and B-Tacs, exactly. So so, that, so, the, so the cheapest bottle, what's, what's a Van Winkle 10 go for? Like $59.99 or $79.99? Uh, it, it's, it's about $79.99 now. And the Pappy and then... 23 goes for? Yep, the most expensive one was I think three eighty. So just in perspective, that bottle of three eighty on secondary with Pappy twenty three these days, four to five grand. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So, exactly. So people line up at at four o'clock in the morning for three hundred and eighty dollars, and buy that bottle, and then can literally hope. make ten times their money. For the hope to get a bottle of three hundred eighty dollar bottle. 
And it's worth standing because it's a 10x return. Yeah. Now, if you pull the ticket for the smaller one, which is 79 bucks, you're still going to get 600. So you're going to get like a 5x return on your money. Yeah. So, so I mean, it's it, pretty it's... wild when, you know, when I first started, there was top shelf. Like you would walk into a liquor store and they would have whiskeys over 500 bucks. At, that was suggested retail up yeah. to like 2000 and they sat there like the glass case and then slowly but surely it got smaller like less product was on there and then eventually it was actually completely gone and then a lot of these independent stores not the chain stores who can mm -hmm. within reason charge whatever they want they came back at a whole different price line they're yeah. like well hey whoa 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 whoa, whoa. <laughs> if somebody's paying 5000 for it why would we put it 380 now we're going to put 4500 up there yeah, they're just and, and, they're and I don't I don't see that system unwinding. And then and then you take it one level deeper that you had like hit squads going to Heaven Hill and to Willet and buying the gift shot releases and then selling those on secondary. Like yeah, and husbands and get... wives or boyfriends and girlfriends, because it's one per it's generally one bottle per person. So they were like, yep. dude, grab anybody else in my car. We're gonna go drive into into Kentucky, we're gonna hit these gift shops. And we're going to buy two of everything. Yep. I mean, there and, were stories about people a... paying. There were stories about people paying homeless people to wait in line to buy a bottle, and they would give them an extra twenty bucks. Yeah, I mean, it's wild. I mean, I watch at Costco. I've, I actually, I actually shed light on a, on a Costco issue. So Costco gets a lot of the Japanese whiskey. Obviously, it's a big part of my collection. Um, any Costco is pretty forth giving on the information. If you go up to the front, they'll ask you what you, you can ask them what's on order and when they think it's coming in. So they'll tell you, hey, we've got Yamazaki 18 and it looks like it's coming in on Wednesday. Yep. So then I showed up on the Wednesday and the product was received, but nobody could find it. And what had happened was a smart employee had hidden it, had received it. Uh -huh. And then hidden it in a pallet because you know how Costco has those rafters with shit everywhere on the top? Yep. They just they just buried it into a thing and they waited till payday. And then they were going to bring it down and then they used the employee discount. They go buy it and then they go flip it on the secondary. And I blew away this Costco manager's brain when I told oh, him this man. was happening. He oh, was like blown man. away. And he was like he was like savagely hunting down that missing case of Yamazaki 18 and he found it. And it was exactly <laughs> as I told him what they were doing. And he was like blown away. So you know how it's meant to be like one per person. So he calls me, you know, because I'm a Costco member yeah. and I want, and I would like that bottle. And he's like, dude, I found them and I show up and he has the whole case. And he's like, how many do you want? And one per person. And I'm like, I don't know, three. And he's like, here, cool. This is how the disconnect, by the way, is from the behind the scenes to the front of the house. Yep. So I woke up to the register and I'm like, they're like, no, it's one per person. I'm like, well, Greg just said it's okay. They're like, cool. Swiped all three and I walked out the door. <laughs> but awesome. somebody had attempted to hide that. So that happens with all the high end stuff. So now, you know, Costco gets the pappies and the B tax. Now, yeah. because they're hyper aware now of the employee thing, they actually offer it to the employees first. <laughs> well, maybe I need to start <laughs> you know, working for Costco. Like, oh, my. I, I'm just like blown away. Like I, I was talking about two months ago to someone at Costco and she's like, oh yeah, 
basically any of the high-end stuff, it, it comes to me in the manager's office and we hold it and then we put it on the floor. But employees know that we have it and they can come buy it before we put it on the floor. I'm like, well, it's never going to make it on the floor then. Yeah, exactly. And it's funny because they're all oblivious. They're like, oh, the employees would never go sell it. That's ridiculous. Like they would get fired. I'm like, <laughs> great, great company policy. Great. Yeah. I would love to know how you enforce that. I'd be like, what do you go to the house after they buy it every week and check it's still there? <laughs> <You know? laughs> and she laughed. I'm like, I'm like, listen, I love it. From a PR and an HR, you you check the box that you did your due diligence, but it's 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 not physically possible that that could happen. Yeah, that it's you know, it's impossible to. But I but I you know I I guess you know we're gonna start winding down, John. The thing that's exciting me the most about whiskey is all these new people coming in like the Pablos of the world, and there's many others, um, oh. with a different kind of passion and a more, um, just a different approach. And because they're not mainstream whiskey brands that have these huge financial demands to be everywhere, they're more boutique. You know, they don't have contracts with Kroger and Safeway and Costco so that we actually do get to enjoy them. Yeah. And they're drinking. That's... You know, like, I'm not adding any... I love Pablo to death. I'm not, I'm not adding any of his whiskeys in my whiskey collection. I'm opening every single one of them. Absolutely. I've got probably 10 it, bottles it, of his stuff open right now. I saw your picture the other day. Your shelf is expanding rapidly <laughs> with his stuff. <laughs> I just so, got one that he I mean, did with Oloroso Sherry Cask finish that is fire. I mean, it's got like oh, notes ask, of I, what an Amberana finish would do, but it's just without any of the, the overtaking, overpowering stuff. Man, it's fantastic. I, I gotta bother him for a reup. I'm, 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 I'm nursing about five bottles, um, currently. When I, I need to, I need to go buy some more. Yeah, have him um, send you what some you, for see, research what, what, for the podcast. Oh yeah, I, that, well he'll come to the, you know like I, I, I try to see him often if I can. It's been a minute, but oh, yeah, we we're due right, for a reunion. True. Jay, tell me something. What is um, what's exciting you for the future of whiskey? Like what's um, like what everything you're doing? What's exciting? What's exciting you personally? Well, uh, I think the the most exciting thing for me is just hosting people. I mean, it's it's not going anywhere. I've got people coming over. Yeah, I'm, shoot, I've got a tasting tonight, um, and then another yeah. one on Monday. So, hosting people, meeting people, um, that's the coolest thing about any of this. When I built this room, I built it with the intention of kind of looking at it almost as a religion, spreading the gospel of bourbon. Yeah. And uh, this is kind of the church. So when people make that trip to, to town, I do my best to represent Kentucky the way that it should be, represent bourbon the way that it should be, and wow. allow people to enjoy, you, you might, enjoy you, it. You might want to change from bourbon goggles like bourbon reverend, bourbon <laughs> minister. <laughs> That's not a bad call. <laughs> yeah, because you really do. I mean, it's such a special time. You know, and I think what the first time I saw you was like two and a half years ago, maybe. Yeah. It was like right when like, you know, and then seeing you a few months ago and, I, and, and another time before that, it's like you just continually um, expand on your graciousness and the experience. Yeah. And I'm always if, always trying to add bottles, add, add additional palette references so that people can anything that somebody says, I can pick something that's going to match their palette. Yeah, I love that. Well, my brother, I appreciate you taking the time today to chat. Um, you know, I love everything you do. I'm a huge supporter of you. And uh, I look forward to seeing you soon. I'm probably going to come back out in April. 
Um, so I definitely will be seeing you, but I really can't thank you enough for taking the time today. If you want to just once again, plug your, your instas and stuff like that. Totally welcome sure. to. Yeah. So, uh, at bourbon goggles on Instagram, also at the card catalog, speak easily, uh, speak easy. Uh, both of those also real quick, I'm going to mention in here, I know we're at the end, but, uh, mention in here, there's a, an art exhibit going on from February through the beginning of February through the end of March. And I was able to paint an entire bourbon barrel. Uh, so go to bourbonwithheart.org. Uh, they're actually putting uh, 20 different barrels, 20 different artists selected out of over 150 uh, artists that submitted. I was selected as one of those artists. And uh, those barrels are going to be on display at the Fraser History Museum downtown Louisville from February through the end of March. So definitely a cool thing to go check out you'll see them on my instagram as well i appreciate you you have a great time and i'll see you soon and i can't thank you enough appreciate it